Welcome. I'm Victoria Schneps, publisher of Schneps Media, including Long Island Press, Dance Papers, AM New York Metro, and many other community newspapers and websites. And I am so pleased to be able to bring today to our podcast, Dr. Adhi Sharma. But I think you used, you used the name Rob? I do, Vicki. Okay, so it's really Dr. Rob Sharma, who is proudly the president of Mount Sinai, South Nassau, that is located in Oceanside, in our catchment area of the Long Island Press and Noticia. So welcome. I'm so delighted to have had this chance to meet with you and talk with you and share some uh, moments with you. Thank you, Vicki. I'm delighted to speak with you, too. So I want to just start with your um, kind of looking back in your childhood to who you felt was the most influential in helping you become who you are today. That's a great question. You know, looking back, I would have to say it's my parents. Uh, we were immigrants. We came to the U.S. from India and my parents uh, both worked full time to uh, make ends meet. It was challenging in the beginning. They had uh, a lot of they had two kids and they had a third kid born here. And my mother was going to night school to get her master's in education so she could become a teacher. Doing all that while working full time. You know, I saw I saw the work ethic. I saw how hard they worked. And they, my, I remember one thing very distinctly. When I was a, a child growing up, my, my mom would say to me, I only had one job. My job was to be the best student I could be. And she didn't want me working any other odd, odd jobs here or there, even though I did a paper boy one summer. But when school was in, I wasn't supposed to be working and she wanted me to focus on my education. And that really drove home the message of how important education is and how important commitment is. And I think I got a lot of my work ethic from, and my ethos from them. And you were born in Brooklyn. Oh, I was born in India, but I came to Brooklyn when I was two. So almost, almost. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass. There you go. That's, you know, uh, where your Brooklyn roots come in, having grown up in Brooklyn and then making the journey now out to Oceanside. That's Tell right. me a bit about what you're doing today at uh, Mount Sinai, South Nassau. So as you mentioned, as of September 1st, I assume the role of the president of Mount Sinai, South Nassau which includes the hospital and all of the ambulatory programs that the hospital oversees, uh, the doctor's offices and such. It's an honor to have been entrusted with the mantle. The board of trustees did a search. Uh, it took several months for them to complete the search and uh, the position was offered. And I graciously accepted because um, this is something that I think is important for the organization to have someone who has grown up with the organization to help lead the organization. Um, I'm very familiar with the amazing culture here at South Nassau. Um, we are working very closely, as, as you may have mentioned, with our Mount Sinai affiliate partners uh, to an integration pathway. And so all of that in the middle of a global pandemic. And by the way, before the pandemic started, we had $400 million in capital projects going. Mm. So a lot going on here at the organization. And I think it was very prudent of the board to make to have someone who already knew all of these nuances here to take take the mantle, as I mentioned. Uh, so the challenges will be making sure those $400 million in capital project get completed as close to on time, on schedule, uh, on budget as possible, uh, developing the clinical platforms with our Sinai partners to expand the care that we provide to our community, uh, going into areas such as open heart surgery, being able to provide on, that in Oceanside. Yes, 
um, improving our cancer care program so we could start doing clinical trials so people don't have to go into the city to enroll in trials. And mm. also being able to provide advanced neurosurgical and neurological programs for patients, unfortunately, suffering with stroke or stroke-like illnesses um, that sometimes they have to be transferred. So this will be great for the community for us to be able to provide all that, all that care in their backyard. Are you a designated stroke center? Yes, we are. We're a designated stroke center, a level two trauma center, a designated um, what's called STEMI center, which is for heart attacks. Uh, so we have a, a number of designations. We provide a lot of comprehensive services today, but we want to provide even more. And by partnering with Sana, we can do that. So the $400 million in projects, those are physical plants. Are they made for those three or four subjects so that you mean to expand the services? So one of them is, that's correct. We're adding a new wing to the hospital. We call it the J wing right now. Um, and in that wing, we'll be adding nine. Looking for a donor? We are looking for a donor. If you know of anybody who have like their name on the side of a building, please let us know. But that wing will have nine new operating rooms, uh, two of which will be supporting open heart. It will also have 40 new ICU beds, critical care beds. And part of those critical care beds will be for the post open heart surgery patients and those types of patients. So we have to advance that care too. And then it'll also house our brand new double size ER so that we can take care of the community on an everyday basis as well. So it'll be a really important wing for the organization, really advancing care. And all of our complex care will be done in that one wing. So with the ER room, I know you've got great experience and roots in the ER, having worked at Elmhurst Hospital many years ago uh, in the ER department. Uh, do you feel any threat from the city meds of the world that are coming into ER kind of uh, treatment? You know, I think if you think about emergency medicine, the, the, the key word there is emergency. And what had happened was for many people, the emergency department became the convenient way to get care for what were often non-emergent visits. And so what we've seen a huge urgent care proliferation, as you mentioned, and I think there's an important place for urgent care because people should be able to access care readily, easily for the everyday things that happen. You're cutting a bagel and you get your thumb instead, or um, you know, you take a little trip in the, in the steps and twist your ankle. And the emergency room is there for you if you need that, that care is also provided well in the, in the urgent care setting. And it allows the emergency department then to focus on those really true emergencies, which can be the strokes, the heart attacks, people who have trouble breathing, people coming in with appendicitis. Right? That's what the emergency department's for. And so it, it allows us to really put those resources to better use. So I don't really see them as a threat. I see them as a compliment. So do you feel that with the COVID-19, have there been, in my company, we've had some great shifts of how we, work as a company. How has it changed your hospital uh, during this, uh, you know, COVID now with uh, obviously this other segment of uh, COVID? Yes, uh, obviously very challenging. Many of our positions can't be performed from home. So a lot, we did have some people work from home, especially back office staff that were able to do so. We kept them safe, Uh, but the vast majority of staff had to be on site to care for patients. But what we learned was the challenges associated with the pandemic, such as especially during the first surge where no one was allowed in the building. Um, how, do you, how do you provide visiting for those patients? How do you provide consultations? Uh, and we started adapting technology and adopting technology to fit, fit our needs. So something we took away from that was really an accelerated adoption of 
new technology to provide care for patients that, that encompasses both real in-person care and some virtual support as well. So telemedicine is a great example of, that, of something that we probably had no platform prior to the pandemic, but now we have a robust telemedicine platform. Are you getting reimbursed for Because that was one of the challenges of telemedicine at one point. Correct. And I think what happened was that during the executive orders that were in place that allow CMS put in orders that allow telemedicine to be reimbursed with what was called parity with office visits, given the situation, the crisis. And I think that did help uh, a lot of healthcare organizations adopt telemedicine. What we saw is patients were happy to do that during the pandemic. The vast majority of patients still prefer in-person care, but mm. we do have a small percentage of patients that like telemedicine and for them it's a good option they may have mobility issues they have multiple appointments in the same day they're in different parts of this of the, of the county and so they can get to these appointments without having to travel all around so we do see some people really like telemedicine as a as an option for them so we've maintained it as an option and it is being currently still being reimbursed uh it's slightly different than it was during the during the height of the pandemic uh but we got, we got to understand the technology better. We got to understand the platform better and our patients got to understand how it could serve them better as well. Do you, you know, being a, 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 you're kind of like a student, you know, you're well-studied and well-practiced in the real world. I, I'm still in a state of shock about people who are not willing to be vaccinated and the selfishness, I believe, of people because, you know, that's how we protect ourselves, but others as well. How do you see uh, what we could be doing better? to convince these people that are anti-vaxxers? You know, I, we've been working with the state mandate to vaccinate our entire staff. And although 90% of our staff are vaccinated, there was a small group that really were hesitant. So much like the general population, uh, we're seeing, you know, 10 to 15% people are really not as uh, embracing vaccines the way the rest of us have, to your point, Vicki. What I see is that they're not anti-vaxxers, all of them. Many of them just simply either have concerns about long-term effects, which they're basing that on a, on a hypothesis, so it's all theoretical. Um, others have concerns about reproductive effects, and there's really no evidence for that. So this is a, what I'm seeing is an emotional response. Mm. And the, the challenge is it's very hard for logic to override emotion. Yes. Right. You feel what you feel and it's hard for somebody to tell you not to feel it. So we're dealing with that. We've met with people. We've done one-on-one -on -one sessions. Yesterday I did a one-hour one-on-one session with somebody who was hesitant and hopeful that she will get vaccinated. Uh, we know that some percentage of our staff will have to leave the organization because they won't meet the vaccine requirement mandate by the state. So we mm. won't be able to employ them. And if you, it gets you a sense of how, how entrenched in their thoughts they are because they're willing to give up their job, they're willing to give up their livelihood, and they can't go anywhere else. It's not like they can go to another hospital. All the hospitals are going to have the same mandate in place. Um, and now with the federal mandate, it'll be every, every state as well, not just New York State. So I think the challenge is there are people who are just so strongly held in their beliefs, it's very hard to shake them off of it. And there's a mm. lot of misinformation on the internet that's helped fueling this. And they're unfortunately getting the wrong information. They're very distrustful. And it's, it's a very big challenge, Vicki. I wish we had a simple solution for it. Well, I, I love your, and I'm going to be very strong with my team, logic over emotion, because from a media perspective, we are consistently and constantly, you know, I had to say, well, we did this story about, you know, the, the safety. I said, you got to do it again and again and again. 
because people really have this block, and you put it so succinctly, logic has, uh, you know, gone away over emotion. But I, you know, I know that, um, you know, your great success has been from hard work. Could you give us some secrets to your success that you could pass on to others? Absolutely. I, I, would, I would say three things. First is, um, I, I, I think it's important to listen. It's very easy for people in leadership positions, even in early leadership positions, to think that they're the expert on everything. But there are so many people you can learn from, and you can learn from anybody. So listen. Um, I'll tell you a very quick story. I was sharing an office with someone when I was a fellow. So I was in training. And in the emergency medicine, we're trained to be kind of tough, that we know that people don't want to always come to the emergency department. A lot of the consultants, they're home. I'm, in, I'm working, they're home. They don't want to get out of their house and come. So you have to kind of fight with them sometimes to come see the patient. So we get taught to be tough. And I was working next to a pediatrician and he was the nicest guy. And he was on the phone with somebody and he was being so polite and so genteel. And inside I was laughing, thinking this is never going to work. And not only did it work, he got everything he wanted without raising his blood pressure. Hmm. Uh, and I adopted that style from him from that day forward. So I changed 180 degrees how I used to handle, um, let's say, conflict management, right? So it was interesting. And so you can learn from anybody and surprise me, be surprised where you can learn from. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I think is important to, I never said no. Mm -hmm. People ask you about something. Sure, I can do that. Sure, I can do that. And sometimes it gets overwhelming. Um, and I remember going to my boss at one point at Elmhurst. You mentioned I was at Elmhurst. And I was on five committees. I was running ACLS for the whole hospital. Plus, I was working all my clinical hours. And everybody else was just working their clinical hours, same numbers as me. And I said to him, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. Um, any way I can get some break somewhere. I wasn't asking for more money, but maybe get some extra hours to do all this stuff. He said, no, one day you'll have a better job than these other guys. That's literally what he said to me. So, wow. you know, um, and I guess, you know, that's the concept is you work hard. People see that you work hard and, and you know, hard work does reap rewards. So um, don't say no, be, be receptive, be open, take on challenges. And the third is know yourself, know your limitations. Uh, it's very easy to take on challenges too soon. So I was out of, I was out of training for 18 months. And my boss, the same boss came to me and said, hey, we'd like you to be the director of the Jersey City Emergency Department. So now I'm 33, 34 years old. He's asked me to be a chairman of a department. And it was a major department, 70,000 business, level one trauma center. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm out of training 18 months. How am I going to tell another doctor who's been doing this for 10 years if they're doing it wrong? What, what credentials do I have that would convince this person to listen to me? And so I felt I needed more experience, that this was too soon. So understanding yourself, your own limitations, I think is important. And then where you have gaps, addressing those gaps. I mentioned to you before, Vicky, that I went and got a master's degree. Yes. Um, this was on top of all my education, like you mentioned, college, med school, all the residency programs I did training in. Uh, I said, let me get the master's because it will fill in the information gaps for areas that I think I need to strengthen. So knowing yourself, knowing your limitations, knowing your, your, um, your strengths, you know, play to your strengths and then work on those limitations because that can only make you stronger. So in summary, those would be my three points. Well, I think they're the great wisdom that you passed on to us. And I will be glad to keep this, this information spreading wide through my media company. And I'm so proud that I got to meet you in the first month of your reign as president. 
of Mount Sinai, South Nassau in Oceanside. Congratulations. Thank you Thanks so much. Thank you. special time together. And see you next time. This is Victoria Schneps. Glad you were with us. Bye now. Thank you.